Welcome to this episode of the We Travel There podcast. Let's get ready to travel to Hong Kong to sample amazing food and see the world's largest permanent light and sound show. Our guest is Sarah Lee Kane of the Beyond the Dollar podcast, where she and her co-host talk about the softer side of personal finance. The show notes will be available at wetravelthere.com forward slash Hong Kong. Let's start the show. The We Travel There podcast helps you travel like a local by interviewing guests from around the world to uncover the hidden gems of their city by finding out the best things to do, eat, drink, and see from a local's point of view. Although I love to travel, sometimes it is just good to be home. When I moved to Nashville, I decided to splurge and get a nectar sleep mattress that provided all the comfort of a luxury hotel without the price tag of one. I love that nectar sleep includes a forever warranty and that you get a 365 night trial to make sure that your mattress is everything you've dreamed of. For a limited time, my listeners will get $125 off and two free pillows with your order when you use the link wetravelthere.com forward slash nectar. So Sarah, welcome to the show. It's glad to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to talk about Hong Kong with you today. Yeah, I've never been to Hong Kong, but I've heard a lot of great things about it. So let's get started. What what brings you to Hong Kong or what's your connection to the city? So I was actually born there and then I moved to Canada when I was about four years old. So I still have a lot of relatives there, like uncles and aunts. And then I also worked across the border from Hong Kong for about eight years. And that place is called Shenzhen, China. I used to go across to Hong Kong on the weekends all the time to meet friends and, and do little day trips and things like that. That sounds great. You know, I've always lived in California and then now in Nashville, and I haven't had a chance to really explore a lot of the Asian cities, but everything I've seen, it just looks like a fantastic place to visit. So what are some of the things that you like most about the city? One of my favorite things is that I think a lot of people think Hong Kong is this metropolitan area. Like you go and you're, you're very overwhelmed I was anyways, about all the neon signs, at the amount of people, you know, when you go shopping. But there's also this other side where there's these beautiful parks and there's these, uh, I guess, their version of national parks and mountains and very secluded areas. And so even though Hong Kong is such a dense area, if you wanted to just get away, so many opportunities to do that. And the transportation system is so good. It's in English as well that you can take a bus, you can take the MTR, which is the subway, and maybe in about an hour, you can seriously be isolated. And so for our listeners, just so that way they know, Hong Kong itself is on an island, but it doesn't make up the entire island. How big would you say the island is that Hong Kong is on? Okay, so there's kind of different areas. So there's Hong Kong Island. I cannot even say how big it is. I think if you took the MTR, the subway, maybe... I'd say an hour-ish. Okay. And then there's little islands that surround Hong Kong Island. There's Lantau Island, where is, which is where the um, Hong Kong International Airport is. There's Lam Island. There's a bunch of other ones I cannot translate into English right now. But sure. And then there's Kowloon, which is part of the mainland. And so that's where you go across the border into mainland China. And so if you compare Hong Kong to even like one of the states in the U.S., it's probably not even as big, I would okay. say. Yeah. Okay. So like you said, it, it's fairly easy to get around. I like going to cities like that where you don't have to rent a car, where public transportation is is easy and abundant and affordable. And so I really like that because that way you get, you get more of a, a feel for with the city, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's a very walkable place. If you hate crowds, either stay in your hotel room when it's peak hours or try to find places that aren't 
nearly as busy. It's a little bit difficult because, again, because the population in Hong Kong is pretty dense, but there are ways to explore. I mean, there's Uber there now. So you can, if you think the taxis are too expensive, you can take an Uber for a couple bucks. I think the MTR, I think the most I've paid was maybe $6 US. Oh, nice. Yeah. So it's a little bit more expensive compared to some other Asian cities, but I, I think at the end of the day, it's it's much cheaper than renting a car. Oh, good, good. Like you said, that there's crowds, but are there certain times of the year that are better than others to visit as far as weather or not be as crowded? So the best times, I would say, would be what are the off-peak seasons. And so there's a few times in the year where I think most of Asia is super busy. And that's, you can say Chinese New Year, some people say Lunar New Year. And so that time differs depending on the lunar calendar. And so it's usually around like January to February is the busiest time because a lot of people get time off. People usually get a week off at a time. Um, and so they're traveling all over Asia. And so that's peak season. It's like a lot of people, flights are more expensive, hotels are probably booked out. So that's not the best time. October is the national holiday, I think called in, in China. So that's another busy time as well. Christmas time is okay, but again, be prepared for much more expensive hotel rooms. Sure, sure. And as far as the weather, obviously we have different seasons here in the, in the US. Is the weather pretty temperate all year long or does it get colder in the winter and warmer in the summer like it does here? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I hate humidity, <laughs> which is strange <laughs> why I lived across the border for so many years. But summertime, you get monsoons, so like rain, a lot of rain. It's very humid. Okay. And so it's just interesting because then people blast the air conditioner. So you get like really cold inside and then you're back out, which is really hot. I'd say if you're looking for like cooler weather, probably November, December, around that time. So that's their quote unquote winter. Gosh, temperature wise, I would say maybe like fall in, in northern U.S., I would say around temperatures like that. Okay. So like you said, if we wanted to skip the, like the hot and humid areas and we want to skip where it's really busy for all, you know, all the Asian holidays, probably like a, the, the spring and the fall would be the best times to visit. Yeah. And, and if you like festivals, there's nothing wrong with going at those times of the year, but just you have to prepare ahead. So you have to book ahead. You just have to prepare that there's going to be lots of crowds, especially with the very touristy areas. There are a few festivals, local festivals. The biggest one that I know of is called the Cheng Chao Bun Festival, and it's based on tradition, and it's really neat. So the whole, it's an island off of Hong Kong Island, Okay. and it's massive, like people put on displays. There's actually a mountain of buns, like bread buns, and so there's <laughs> like a, it kind of culminates with this contest where people climb up to the top to try to grab the biggest one, and it's a really neat one. That one's in May. I think throughout a week. And so that's like a really busy time because all the locals are really interested in seeing stuff like that. That sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, I can, I can only imagine actually right now I have a visual of you running up and trying to climb up a, a mountain <laughs> of, of buns, trying to get one at the top. I would so, love to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think part of the fun of traveling to other countries and, and visiting other cultures is having those type of experiences that you wouldn't have here in the U S you know, whether it be food or whether it be activities like the bun festival Part of the fun of the travel is just doing things like that to get you out of your comfort zone and have a great story to tell when you get back. One another thing, too, that I really love about Hong Kong is that English is so widely spoken. Okay. And so if you are very, 
uncomfortable or you're tired. I mean, I sometimes when I get stressed, you just want somebody to speak English or yeah. or have a sign in English. And so you do have that element where if you are stressed or tired, there are places where you can speak English in most places. But then there's also that element of getting outside of your comfort zone, like you said, because if let's say you go to a local market, it's like the sensory experience for me was like so interesting like there was like all the noise like you kind of go and you there's like fish everywhere and meat everywhere and you just like it's all this really interest like you just kind of go from aisle to aisle and taking all the sights and so there's like both of those which is what I really love that's really cool yeah I think just being able to experience something like that would be just just amazing you know uh, <laughs> I don't really know other word to say it right now <laughs> but, but yeah I mean so speaking of food what are some of the great things to eat there I was looking on on the website for the Visitors Bureau of, of Hong Kong. And I just saw so many different types of food that I, we're, we're not really accustomed to seeing here in the U.S. And obviously, they're delicacies. So what are some of the things that you really like to eat there? Oh, my gosh, so much. I'm like such a foodie. It's hard to pick. <laughs> but I would say dim sum is a, a must try. So dim sum, if you think about it, it's kind of like tapas, but okay. Chinese food. And so a lot of it is like steamed ribs with black bean sauce there are steamed buns and inside it's like a sweet red bean paste or sometimes there's meat in it there's rice wrapped in lotus leaves there's desserts it's pretty economical i think depending on where you go and it's a really great way to kind of immerse yourself among the locals if that's what you're interested in mm -hmm. because there's um they call it early tea be directly translated they open i think as early as 6 a.m and so a lot of people just go there for breakfast the servers push around the carts, and so you can ask to kind of look and see what the food is, and so you can point to what you want. And okay. there's the dishes are small enough that you can just take a sample of a few. So if you don't like something, you're not wasting like an entire plate. And I would say, again, depending on where you go, maybe the average meal would be like less than ten dollars a person, which is really great. Yeah, that's totally uh, affordable. And yeah, yeah, it seems like a foodie's paradise just from everything I've seen and the way you're describing it. My wife, she likes to sample everything. And mm -hmm. so it seems like that would be like a perfect place for her to go. Yeah. And there's there's what they call tea shops. And gosh, I apologize. I'm not translating correctly. But it's think of it as like a cafe or like a fast food restaurant, but not what you think like a McDonald's. It, it's um, so you go and a lot of places, again, will have menus in English. And Maybe a meal is anywhere from like 5 to $10 to these places. And so it's like fried noodles. You can get curry. You can get soup. They have iced tea. So it's not really what you think of iced tea in the U.S. It's, it has like condensed milk in it. That's like another place where you can, can sample different quote-unquote fast food cuisines. Okay. And there's also like street food if anybody's interested in street food. So at the night markets or even the daytime markets, you'll get stalls with street food. And they call them like meatballs and fish balls. They're like on a skewer. Sometimes they're cooked in like a broth or cooked in a curry sauce and you can try stuff like that. There's just, gosh, like we could have another podcast episode just on food alone. <laughs> well, I, I, I wrote down a couple names of some food that I found there. One thing is called a Chinese barbecue. So how would you compare a Chinese barbecue versus barbecue in the, in the US? Okay, that's another. Yes, I totally forgot about that. So a Chinese barbecue, you have like a marinade or kind of a sauce. And so for the pork is like a sweet kind of tangy sauce. And what they do is they actually just put it over like a charcoal grill mm -hmm. or in an oven, like a wood-fired oven of sorts. They have like roast duck. And so they put whatever the seasoning it is, and then they kind of stick the duck in a um, 
like on a, I want to say a skewer, whatever the bigger version of a skewer is. And then they kind of roast it over an open fire. You get like a crispy skinned duck, chicken's the same thing. And the pork is, it's usually pretty fatty. So if you're not into fatty meat, then it's not a good idea, but it's, it's just, oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> right on, right on. So uh, I read also something called a, a pineapple bun. Mm-hmm. What's a pineapple bun? Okay. So it's a, like a sweet roll. And then on the top, it's kind of like this crumbly, sweet texture. It doesn't really taste like pineapple. It's just my opinion. Some people may not think that. So think of it as like a, you know, if I don't know if anybody out there understands like an apple crumble. So think of it like that on top of a sweet roll. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I was reading, is said that they call it a pineapple bun because the crust looks like a pineapple, but there's actually no pineapple in it. So it's a little little bit of a misnomer (laughs) that way. Yes, yes. And it is yellow, so there you go. <laughs> okay, right on, right on. And then the last one uh, that I read about was called stinky tofu. Mm, okay, that's a acquired taste. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've come to not hate it. I've tried it a few times. So stinky tofu is basically fermented tofu. The way I like to describe it is so it's tofu, but they kind of let it rot or get moldy it sounds really strange and so it tastes okay but it smells like i it smells like a sock like a wet sock <laughs> <laughs> but so if, if you really want to kind of go off the deep end and try like really local delicacy then definitely try that there i apparently there's different versions there's like a northern china version and then there's a southern china version so i'm not really sure what the differences are but there's apparently different versions of it yeah, I'm uh, I'm not as adventurous with food, so I may actually leave that one to you, but <laughs> <laughs> So we were talking earlier about how easy it is to get around, and one of the things I think that you mentioned as far as getting around is uh, the cable car out to Lantau Island to see the Big Buddha? Yeah, so there's a few different ways you can see the Big Buddha. So the the cable car is probably the easiest way. I think it's I'm trying to remember what the price is, but that's probably your most expensive and most touristy option. You can take the bus, so that takes a little bit longer. The buses there, there's kind of different classes, I guess you can say. There's like double-decker buses, and then there's what they call the minivans. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing about minivans is most locals take those. Some bus drivers don't speak English, and they don't officially have bus stops. So they go on a predetermined route, and then you just yell to the bus driver, say, like, I want to stop here. And that's what you do. And so... For those ones, there's a ton of minibuses that go, and they're way, way cheaper than, I would say, the cable car. I'd say okay. cable car, okay, let's say 30 bucks. I'd say the minivan would be like five. Oh, wow. So a significant difference, especially mm-hmm. if, you have, uh, if you're traveling with your family, have multiple people with you. Mm-hmm. That can add up pretty quick. Yeah, it does take longer. So if time is of the essence, it might be worth your time to pay a little bit more. Sure, sure. And then something also called the, the peak. What's, uh, what's that about? So the peak, I, I think, is a must for everyone. It's, again, very touristy, but it's a really great opportunity to see the Hong Kong skyline when it's not foggy or okay. when it's not hazy. Okay. So the peak is basically a, a, one of the mountain peaks. And so you can, again, take a cable car up as well. I don't remember the price, but you can go up and it's there's like a lot of restaurants and souvenir shops now, but you can just go. I like to go up at night. It's also the most busy time but you can then see the skyline at night and it's really pretty yeah i was reading that they have uh, something called the symphony of lights yeah so i think the tallest buildings on the so there's like hsbc bank and there's a couple of buildings in the financial area Mm -hmm. that kind of light up and it's really pretty 
I was reading that they actually have uh, the Guinness World Record of the world's largest permanent light and sound show. That's cool. Yeah, I, it is worth it. I I will say this. If you're not like into touristy areas, I mean, I totally understand. But uh-huh. if you love seeing skylines, I, I totally, totally recommend the peak. Right on, right on. And then also, again, more of a little bit of a, a touristy thing, but they actually also have a Hong Kong Disney and uh, something called Ocean Park, Hong Kong. Yeah. So Hong Kong Disney, I haven't personally been to. I've heard it's better for little kids. I think okay. apparently six and under. I'm not really sure if they've updated it, but there are deals you can get where uh, you can book a hotel plus a ticket. And then I think you get an unlimited pass on the MTR and it's like way cheaper than the price of just a ticket. Oh, that's I, great. I, yeah. I think I'm sure if you kind of look on the Hong Kong tourism website, you may be able to dig around those specials. I remember seeing them in October ish. And so that's like right around the, the national day holiday. So it, again, it might be a little bit busier. Mm-hmm. Ocean Park is very similar to, I would say, SeaWorld in the US. So it is an amusement park, but then you also see animals. And that's my favorite because I remember going to that growing up. Okay. And so I just have very fond memories of that place. And I think it's a little bit cheaper than Disney. I'm just going to assume Disney's more expensive. For some people, they want to see Disney anywhere and everywhere. And then mm-hmm. some people, you know, they want to see more of the local parks. Something kind of cool I saw at Ocean Park is that you actually, they have like the giant pandas there. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love pandas. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a, just like a cool, unique feature to being able to see those uh, up close and personal. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, it's been great talking about Hong Kong. Lots of information here. We have a lot more information that Sarah shared with me. i going to have all that in the show notes, but uh, we only have a few minutes left. So what I want to do is get into the final countdown and So if somebody was traveling to Hong Kong and they only had just a short amount of time, maybe they were just there on a stopover on the way to another city, where should they go as far as to find the best food in town and what should they eat when they're there? What's like the number one thing you'd recommend? I would say the best place is go to an area called Mong Kok. It's it's really close to the MTR station. And I would say from the airport, maybe a 40 minute train ride. And mm-hmm. I would go there because that's where you can get some of the cheapest food and that they have English menus. And so types of cuisines you can try. Like, again, we talked about dim sum. We talked about the barbecue. Like, you can get all of that there. Okay. And you can get it pretty quickly as well. So, if you're like again, if you're short on time, I would, I would go there and I would just pick a restaurant and kind of have at it. Right on. So, if there was only one thing that they can eat, what's the one thing that you'd recommend mm-hmm. that they eat? I'm like a noodle girl, like fried noodles or noodles in as like a broth. I guess you can say the quintessential Hong Kong cafe dish would be rice noodles with fish balls. So it's in a broth. Okay. That would be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely have to add that to the menu when we go out there. <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously grew up in the area. You have some great memories. So what's your most memorable story uh, of Hong Kong? I actually got married in Hong Kong. So, oh, yeah, congrats. Yeah, thank you. So I met my husband there about 10 years. I didn't meet in, him in Hong Kong. We met in Shenzhen, China. We actually worked together. Okay. And so he proposed and I said, yes, right, of course, because we're married now. Yep, yep. <laughs> and when we decided where we wanted to have our wedding, it made sense to do it in Hong Kong because that's where all my relatives were. It was much easier to fly into Hong Kong because you still need a visa to get into mainland China. Mm-hmm. And my mom's best friend also knew a lot of people in the wedding industry and so it was really easy for us to get like a caterer not a caterer sorry a restaurant i found like a really nice dress for like 30 bucks and so it was just it was perfect 
Wow. So yeah, I will always remember Hong Kong as a place where I got married. Was it more like a hotel to get married at or something, someplace uh, more unique or where did you get married? So traditionally you do what they call like a banquet. It's a, it's a wedding banquet. So it's like a 13 course meal. And so the most oh, expensive wow. element of a wedding is actually the, the meal. And so I would say the average cost, depending on, gosh, depending on the restaurant, depending on your menu, I, I'd say like 70 bucks a person, like per person for this 13 course meal. Wow. Yeah. Which is crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> So it's usually just restaurants, and they call them seafood restaurants, um, I guess to translate very loosely. Okay. And most of these places, you can like book up to a week in advance and say, like, this is the menu I want. And then they order the food, and then they a lot of places do actually help you set up the wedding venue or the banquet hall, I guess you can say. So you don't have to worry about that stuff. We didn't have to worry about any of that. Wait a minute. So you only can book it a week in advance? You know, you can book it up to a week in advance. Yeah. Oh, like, so. Okay. I as remember, little as a week, as little yeah, as a week. Yeah, I remember okay, when we okay. first got engaged and we were like, oh my gosh, we how much time do we have to book a place? And so we would go to a restaurant, they would look at us like we were crazy and they were like, we don't even have the schedule for next month. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, I guess you can book it pretty last minute. I think it depends on how popular the places are, I guess. Okay. But yeah, for us, we I think we... We booked it a month before we got married. Again, we knew the the restaurant manager, so uh-huh. that's easy. Yeah, yeah. I would say that would probably give people here a coronary, you know, because you know the bridezillas <laughs> yeah. that want to book things out two years in advance. That's gonna be pretty rough for them. So yeah, there, I mean, there are places like that. Like, there's places specifically to hold wedding banquets. Okay, that probably will book out that far out ahead. But if you do like a local restaurant, maybe not. Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, speaking of being happy, so what's the happiest happy hour? Where should somebody go for that in Hong Kong? Okay, this, it's an area called Lan Kwai Fong. So it's a it's an expat area, but that's where all the bars are concentrated. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, you, you can ha- be as happy as you want there. <laughs> I know in certain areas of the country here, the alcohol rules are a little, a little odd sometimes. Are there any special rules that you can think of? I think the bars are closed a little bit earlier. And to be honest, I'm like, I am not a night owl, so I cannot tell you when the bars close. I'd say like, I'm assuming midnight. I mean, I go to bed by like eight, so I'm kind of a party pooper. <laughs> um, but people do stay out pretty late. Like if, if you guys want to party till the wee hours, people then go to like the 7-Eleven and buy alcohol and then kind of walk around. So this may be an odd question for Hong Kong, but wherever I go, I always try to get pepperoni pizza at least once. <laughs> yeah. What would you say is the best place to get a pepperoni pizza in, in Hong Kong? I'd probably say that same area because that's, again, where all the, not all, most expats go. And so that's okay. where you get a lot of the, the Western restaurants. Like you, if you want to find a good burger, that's a good area too. Makes sense. Yeah. You got to cater to your crowd, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, Sarah, it's been great having you here talking about Hong Kong. Really appreciate your time and all your insider knowledge. So tell everybody about uh, your podcast, Beyond the Dollar. Yeah. So Beyond the Dollar, I co-host it with a financial coach, Garrett Philbin. We created that as a space where everyone can have really deep and honest conversations about money and life and basically how they all blend into each other. And so, yeah, definitely come over. The website is beyondthedollar.co. You were telling me earlier that the episodes are based on seasons, right? And so Mm -hmm. you're just wrapping up uh, which season? So we're wrapping up season two. After that, we will have season three. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. Yep, that's kind of how it works, right? Yes. So, but, 
I've listened to the podcast, enjoyed it, and uh, highly recommend it. It's not really like hardcore focusing on all the details of intricacies of, of finance. It's more of like how you feel about money, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for everybody out there listening to this podcast that are interested in having more travel, we actually recorded, we released an episode last week with Dale Thomas Vaughn, and he is the marketing director of Airtrex. And Airtrex is a company, gosh, they've been around for years and they help people plan trips around the world, like really complicated trips around the world. Like Google even calls them when they can't do it, which is insane. But he outlines this really great way of how he's made travel a priority. It's just a really wonderful episode. So if you guys are interested, definitely come over and listen to that one. Yeah, we're going to have to make sure we download that one and and listen to it on the way (laughs) to our next destination. So, well, Sarah, thanks again for being on the show. Look forward to seeing you around. Yes, for sure. I haven't been to Hong Kong yet, but I'm ready to grab my passport right now. Hong Kong seems like a perfect mix of both Western and Eastern culture. I can't wait to visit the Big Buddha during the day and watch the amazing light and sound show at night. So what's your favorite thing you learned about Hong Kong? Please let us know in the show notes at wetravelthere.com forward slash Hong Kong or log into the We Travel There podcast community on Facebook. Join us in the next episode when Dustin Heiner and I discuss how to tame the Anaconda Burrito in Fresno, California. We hope you'll join us when we travel there. If you'd like to listen to more podcasts about travel, I suggest learning about your favorite boarding area travel bloggers with the Now Boarding Podcast, hosted by Ed Pizza. Each episode features an in-depth interview with one writer to discover their passion for travel and rewards. Let me know what you think.